sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day accordance with the scriptures. Now, the Apostle Paul started the church in Corinth. And you could imagine the things that you would have to do to start a church. I mean, you've got to find a body of believers who believe in Jesus Christ. You've got to find men who are willing and capable to lead and participate in the services. You've got to take those people and you've got to teach them about the doctrine. You've got to teach them about orderly worship. You've got to teach them about how to live in relation to one another and how to live in relation to God. That's a big task. And as Paul left Corinth, he went to Ephesus. And as he left Corinth, that church developed severe problems. They had problems such as they were suing one another. Could you imagine coming to church and sitting across from somebody who filed a lawsuit from you? How hard and difficult that would be? There were people at Corinth who were taking the communion service and they were getting drunk in the communion service. There were people at Corinth who lived in open, perpetual immorality, unrepentant. There were people at Corinth who were using the Lord's Day as an occasion just to have a social gathering or a social club and not to come together and worship God in spirit and in truth. There were people there who were trying to segregate other people based on their socioeconomic status. So if you were someone with lesser means, you could sit over here, and someone with a little bit more means could sit over here. There was all kinds of problems. And so the Apostle Paul is prompted to write two letters to them. And what's amazing to me is I think that if Corinth was a church that was down the road from us, in all candor, it's probably a place that we would consider to be a dumpster fire. We probably wouldn't walk in the doors of that church. We probably wouldn't consider them. We probably wouldn't invite them over to meetings. In fact, we would probably think that they're a lost cause. But to my fascination, God loved them. God loves them just as much as He loves each and every one of us. And that prompted him through the power of the Holy Spirit to cause Paul to pen two letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And the purpose of the letters were to draw those people back to the truth, to instruct them how to worship God in spirit and truth, and to how to live in relation to one another. And that's what Paul does. And it's interesting to me here that in 1 Corinthians, the first thing that Paul says to them, kind of in the beginning of that 15th chapter, was, for I delivered unto you of what? First importance. What's the first important thing that he draws to their attention? Don't you think that it's important if you start a church and if you're trying to maintain its viability and its health that you teach on morality, that you teach on doctrine, that you teach on how to live in relation to one another? Don't you think that those are all important things? They are, and Paul addresses those things in his letter, but the thing that he says here is of first importance of first importance before all of those things, is what? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. Why is that the first, most important thing above anything else before we get to any of those other Christian disciplines? Why is the resurrection numero uno? It's the first thing because the resurrection is the foundational basis by which we establish the authority of Jesus Christ. It's very simple. If Jesus Christ came to the earth, 
And he professed to be the Son of God. And he professed to have the words of life. And he said that he was going to die for the sins of the world, that he would be buried, and that he would be resurrected. If in fact that is true, then he has established himself as truth, and we can take everything that he says as credible. Because nobody in the history of the world has made the proclamation that they're going to die for the sins of the world, be buried and resurrected, and has proven that. And if what he said was false, then we can disregard everything the disciples said. We can disregard everything the apostles said. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14, If Christ be not raised, then our preaching's vain and your faith is vain. If Jesus Christ didn't rise from the grave, there is no need for you and I to be here today. In fact, Paul says that if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the grave, then we're a bunch of pitiful people and we're still lost in our sins. Paul says if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the grave, that he's a sinner because he was a Jew who had, who had worshipped God and he had spent his life committed to going and teaching people about the life and the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if that's not true, he's a liar. And he's still in his sins. That is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the first most important thing to comprehend and to understand as a Christian. In fact, Paul says that the resurrection, it was that Jesus Christ declared Himself to be the Son of God and the power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And I think that sometimes when we think about the resurrection, we think of it as a part of the gospel. Or sometimes we think about the resurrection as an act in the drama of the life of Christ. But the resurrection is not just a part of the gospel. The resurrection is the heart of the gospel. It is the defining moment in history that changes the world forever. It's so significant that it divided the world calendar into B.C. and A.D. I mean, come on. It's so significant that it went from a group of, a small group of people to now billions of people worldwide who profess and proclaim the name to be a Christian. That's profound. A statement by Timothy Keller says, I'm sorry I can't read that, so I'm going to step aside and read it from here. I thought this statement was really good. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that He said. If He didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about what any of He said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Does that make sense? It does to me. Listen, if Muhammad came to the earth and he professed to be the Son of God and he professed that he could take away the sins of the world and that he would, he would be crucified for, for the sins of mankind and be buried and resurrected from the grave, if that was true, then we would listen to what he has to say. If Muhammad or Confucius came to the earth and professed to have the words of eternal life and to give our souls eternal rest in the courts of God and that he would do that through his death, burial, and resurrection, if in fact that was happened and that was proved by eyewitness testimony and recorded through the Scriptures, if that was true, then we would listen to what they had to say. But they didn't. And so that's why the resurrection is the defining moment of history and it's the true core in the heart of what we believe as Christians. Now, I want to ask you a couple of questions. First question is, why do Christians focus on and commiserate the death, burial, 
and resurrection the first day of the week. Outside of the fact that we have New Testament examples of men and women doing that. And why do some in the world turn their attention on Easter Sunday to pay respect and acknowledge the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Have you ever been to a funeral? I'm sure most of you have. And if you haven't, if you live any length of time, I'm sure you'll go to one. What do you do at a funeral? You know, usually there's a point in time where you kind of get in a line, single file, and you kind of shuffle your way and make your way to the casket. And as you get to the casket, you look down, and what do you see? You see the shell of a person who once was, don't you? You see a body. What do you experience? Oftentimes grief, sadness, desperation, helplessness. As you look at that family, at the loss of their father, their mother, their siblings, their children, their spouse. And there's nothing that you can do but just be there for them. How does that make you feel? Helpless, doesn't it? But if if that person's a Christian, you remember something, don't you? You remember the death. You remember that burial. You remember that resurrection. And what does it do to you? It produces a peace within your heart, doesn't it? Because you know that that soul can rest in the courts of God. It can rest within the company of Jesus Christ because of the great work that He performed on the cross and the miracle of His resurrection. That's why people come to church on the first day of the week. That's why people have hope is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is the foundational message of the resurrection. The resurrection speaks peace into the hearts of mankind who are desperate and who are in need and who are helpless. Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. This is a verse that commonly we see around Christmas time, and it's a good verse. It says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And I think a lot of times people use this verse around Christmas to kind of develop this utopia in their mind that if we could just as a a world put down our arms for a few days and stop engaging in military conflict and we can just take a few days to remember the birth of Jesus, then that's a good thing. Peace on earth. And that would be great if that would happen, but I don't think that that's what that verse is teaching. What that verse is teaching is that, that God allowed a Savior to be born into this earth. And because Jesus came to this earth and because of what He was going to do for us, that allowed us to have peace with God. In fact, when you look at that word peace there, it's defined as prosperity, as oneness, that you can have a oneness now with God, that you can have a quietness with God, that you can be at rest with God. The message of the resurrection is peace. I want you to take yourself back to try to reflect on the crucifixion. And I want you to try to, for a moment, put yourself at the foot of the cross. I want to read this passage and then I want you to to think about something. 
Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus in the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him away and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hell, king of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him away of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. As they went out, they found a man of Serene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. I want you to think if you were a disciple for a minute and you were sitting or standing at the base of that cross and you watched that atrocity unfold. As the wind blew, it sprayed blood on your clothes from the massive bloodletting that was hanging there, from, that was dripping from that cross. And you watched as those soldiers took his feet and they bound him and they drove a spike in him. You can only internalize the lightning that shot from those nerves of his ends of his foot into his very spine. I want you to sit there and, and, and picture the massive trauma to his body, the lacerations to him, and the ugliness. And at the foot of the cross, his mother there watching all of that unfold. You know, I think that if I was standing there, I'm almost certain. I would have vomited watching that. I'm pretty sure that if I was at the foot of that cross and I watched that atrocity unfold, I probably would have hyperventilated. I'm sure some of us would have passed out. I don't think our modern day sensibilities would be able to comprehend and internalize what happened there. And when before Jesus went to the cross, he was arrested and his disciples fled. They ran away from him. But we know that some of them were, I think, there. John was there. Jesus told John to take care of his mother at, at, at the cross. We know that Peter says that he followed him from afar. Do you imagine if you witnessed that? What would happen next? Well, we would be hiding. We would probably go somewhere in a room. Here we followed Jesus these years. He's taught us. He's been our example. We've looked up to him. We've watched him heal people. We believe that he's the Son of God, but you know what? There's a fear now. There's an anxiety. Why? Because we watched what those people did to him. We watched that angry mob of Jews gather him up and hand him over to the Roman officials. And now he's dead. The person that they looked up to, the person that consoled them, the person that taught them, the person was, that was their everything, is now gone. He's lifeless. And they're in this room, and I'm sure that as they're in this room, they're pacing around. They're probably panting. They're probably looking out the window, seeing if anyone's coming for them. Because why? They're afraid that people are going to say, hey, he was with them. I saw him in Jerusalem. I saw him at the healing. Or hey, I, he was with them. I saw them teaching in, 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 in Jerusalem. Or, I saw them in the wilderness together. They were worried about they were going to be next. So imagine that scene. In John chapter 20 and verse 19, it says, On the evening that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked, the disciples were there for the fear of the Jews. Now, that, those doors were locked not because they were trying to keep solicitors away. Those doors were locked because they were afraid of people bearing down on that door and coming and taking them. And notice what happens next. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be unto you. 
It's interesting to me that the first thing that Jesus tells his disciples is peace be unto you. Why didn't Jesus come to them and say, why did you guys run away? Did you, did you not believe? Did you doubt? Why did he not come before them and say, kneel down and kiss the ring of the King of glory? Because of his care for them? Because of his concern for their condition? He tries to instill peace in them through the representation and through the proof and the evidence of the resurrection that a group of men who were cowering in a room, afraid of being taken over by an angry mob, would then later on go to preach the gospel all over the world. In Acts chapter 4 and verses 33, and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. That's a long way for a group of people who were thinking about going back to fishing or tax collecting or whatever they did. These men went on to give their lives for the gospel. These men went on to some of them be crucified themselves, exiled from countries, killed by the end of the, the sword. The apostles, some of them were beheaded. To me, that is all the more proof of the resurrection. And it's not just the scriptures that record this. This is other historical accounts that these men would give everything that they had based on the resurrection. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, <clears throat> Blessed be to the God... Step aside here so I can see. Blessed be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection gives people a hope. In fact, if you, if you go down further in 1 Peter here, 1 Peter talks about specifically if you're going through trials in your life, you are to look to the resurrection. You know, this, this life can take a lot of things away from you. And conditions of life can deteriorate rather quickly. And there's a lot of things that you can try to grasp and hold on into life that you simply can't that can be outside of your control. But one thing that can never be taken away from you is the fact that Jesus Christ was resurrected. And your faith and hope in that. And so Peter says, for whatever type of trials, whatever issues that you're dealing with, you can always look to the resurrection to give you hope. In John chapter 20, verse 11 through 16, this is the account after Jesus had been crucified and after he had been buried. It says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you not weeping? Or excuse me, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. The first person that Jesus made an appearance to after his death was not the disciples. The first person that Jesus visited or encountered after his death was Mary. We know that because of Mark chapter 16 and verse 9. Now when he rose early in the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, 
of whom he had cast out seven demons. What's the significance of that? Why would Jesus not make an appearance before his disciples, these men of faith who would author the New Testament, who would go on to give their lives, who would go on to be evangelists? Why would he not make that appearance? Why did Jesus not go before Pilate and encounter him after the resurrection and say, I stood before you a condemned man, but now you stand before me condemned? Why would Jesus not go before the Jews and pronounce himself there? But Jesus went to Mary. That's interesting to me because what it tells me is that he had a great value for Mary. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that women of this time were the equivalency of slaves because I don't believe that's true. But they certainly didn't hold the status as men in that society. Women were uh, expected to tend to the domestic affairs of their household, to their children, and to their homes. But they certainly didn't run for city council. They didn't run for mayor. Uh, they certainly didn't make religious decisions in, in, in the city and in the synagogues. They... Um, they were not of the same status. And it's interesting to me that the first person that Jesus would visit would be a woman. A woman who was very vital and important in his ministry. That she may have been in the backdrop of a lot of things and she may not go on to be an elder or a deacon of the church and she may not stand up before a group of people and give a sermon or be able to read all of the sheet music in a songbook. She may have been somebody over there who was wiping down the counter somewhere in the kitchen, but Christ valued her enough to visit her first. And then, what I get from that is it shows the value that Christ has on each and every one of us. That there's no one better than the other. The problems they had at Corinth about trying to fight who was better than the other. Disciples had the same fight when they were with Jesus who was better than the other. That we're all equal in the eyes of God and Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 is a verse that we often see reference to that. That there's neither, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male nor female, but you're all one in Christ Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus is, is a unifying message. And um, I think it's special that he made his appearance before Mary. And I think that's a testament to how powerful that she was in his life and the things that she did to assist Jesus in his ministry. So it doesn't matter what race you are, it doesn't matter what gender you are, uh, the value that, that you're held and esteemed to in God's eyes is important. In John chapter 11 in verses 25 through 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And here we see language here that's inclusive to everyone who would draw their attention to Jesus Christ and obey Him and become a Christian. And so in conclusion, kind of the main points I want us to, to take away this morning is this, is that number one, the resurrection is the focal and centerpiece of the gospel. All the doctrine in the scriptures is important. Christian living is important. But all of those things stem from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is number two, the resurrection gives us peace and assurance to those who are in Christ. And then thirdly, 
that the resurrection reveals Christ's value for all people and provides salvation to any who seek and obey it. Um, I appreciate your attention this morning. You've been a very good audience. Uh, I hope that the message of the resurrection has been inspiring to you. I hope it's been sobering to think about uh, the death of Jesus, but to again realize and appreciate um, what's in store for those who can maintain the faith until the end of their life. And so at this time, if you have a matter to bring before the congregation or um, if you want to consult about being baptized, we ask that you come as we stand and sing.